Imagine that it's episode. Wait, what episode is it? Two thirty-four. Two thirty-four. That's crazy. Of our show, you said it wouldn't last like three episodes. It's we've we've literally done two hundred and thirty-four episodes of the Brian Oak Show podcast. Do you ever like? And I'm not that kind of guy. Like anyone who knows me, who's ever met me, would never, ever, ever accuse me of being an overachiever. Ever. <laughs> so I blame you. Well, you know. Here we are. We got clients we got to make happy. Right? My name is Brian Oak. That is Sean Bernard. Clients. Oh, I like that song, by the way. That hey, was kinda, oh, oh, hey, we could listen to I the whole thing. I could dance to that one all day. Here's the deal about St. Vincent, right? Annie Clark, when she first came out, everyone's like, oh my God, a female guitar hero. She's brilliant. <laughs> and then as soon as that became her tag, she completely set down the guitar and was like, fuck you. I'm never picking up the guitar again. Because... She is as close to a modern-day David Bowie as we have. Her last record, Daddy's Home, is so troubling and so truthful and so honest. And so it, it, it doesn't have any of those guitar histrionics that we came to associate with her with early in her career. I love everything about her. She plays against type. She's absolutely incredible. She's wonderful. And that's kind of why I chose her to kick off the show on today, International Women's Day. Annie Clark is an American music legend, one of the most important figures in American music in the last 20 years, in one person's humble opinion. That person would be Brian Oak. It is the Brian Oak Show, <laughs> episode 200 and. 50,000, did you Something say? Something like that. Okay, yeah. it's very, very high. Uh, that is Sean Bernard. How are you, Sean? I'm doing well, man. Busy. Crazy. Yeah. But good. That's the way it works, right? Yeah. A sunny Tuesday outside. So in addition to International Women's Day, and again, I know we record this on a certain day and people may be listening to this during an actual cyclone or earthquake, but today is a beautiful, beautiful day in South Minneapolis. It is. And aren't you tired of your middle to upper class white friends complaining about whoa, the gas prices whoa, right now? Whoa. I'm I mean, so tired of them. Like, really? I, like you, you were just in freaking Cancun. You know, with one eye crossed, you know, I'll be not honest, looking good. I am one of them, uh, oh, but I'm geez. also, but no, no, just listen. No, no, not one of the people complaining about oh. gas prices. I was going to say I'm one of those middle-aged white people. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I, look, man, I mean, the world is upside down right now. So yeah. I'm trying to find ways to be positive. We've all been watching everything unfold and it's brutal. So I thought, let's just say a nice thing about International Women's Day. Although the yes. one thing I have to say on the far side of that is really, Women are more than half the population worldwide, and we're giving them this one day. Hey, congratulations, <laughs> ladies. You're doing a All great right, job. You're doing a great fucking job. Why don't job. women it up? Oh, it makes me sick to my stomach. Because <laughs> and then like, we have a guest that's clearly a dude. Well, I mean, I pretty, that, he's, he's a dude. Oh, but but also like I mean like almost pretty like a woman. This is like, almost I mean, this a is gift a, to heterosexual a, women. This that is we're a handsome today. man. I mean this is this is a handsome man. He's got good genes. He didn't do anything. We'll, well maybe talk some about that. maybe some working out. Oh, uh, maybe some working out. We'll talk about it later. Today's guest for the first time ever on the show is um, formerly a player of the NFL, currently a broadcaster, and well, frankly, a Lothario to women worldwide. If I'm honest, and a podcaster too. Oh. 
yeah, I guess, whatever. We'll talk about his podcast, too. We'll talk more to Ben Lieber coming up in just a bit. But before we do that, I do want to thank Smart Start MN. Here we are in the Smart Start MN studio in scenic South Minneapolis, very near 48th in Chicago. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. Should you drink and drive? Well, the answer obviously is no, but I'm saying that if you do drink and drive and you screw everything up and you've made that ultimate terrible choice, thank God you didn't kill anybody. Thank God you didn't kill yourself. Thank God that there hasn't been too much damage. You're still going to lose your license and your life is still going to go upside down. You did a, you did a dumb thing. You fucked up. All right. Can I say that during the commercial? Yeah. Well, you did. You fucked up. Ed and Mike are fine with that. However, well, and as Ed and Mike know, I mean, basically, they've made a lifetime out of dealing with people who fucked up, right? Who just come to them incredibly depressed, too, by the way, just... My wife is so pissed at me right oh, now. Oh, man. Like, Or I have to take a cab to get my kid to Everywhere. daycare every day. Please, can I drive you? Please. Well, luckily, they're sort of the Andy Griffith and Barney Fife of this particular podcast. They're there for you. They're friends. They're going to is help Mike you. Is Mike Barney Fife? I just want to... I'm not picking. Okay. I, I'm just saying Good call. Good that call. they're like the duo in the sense sure. that they are Minnesotans. They are one of us. They are going to help you get back into your car, and you have to get back into your car. They will help you get the ignition interlock system installed in your vehicle so you can get back to some semblance of a regular life after a very tawdry <laughs> misfortune. Yeah, you bottomed out. Well, okay. Get over it. it go, to, go, be... to, go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. That'll get you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock system. That's all they need to know. Exactly. I want to waste very little time no. on this opening segment because we have a genuine celebrity on the podcast today. <laughs> no, he's shaking his head, but he knows I'm right. Deep in his heart, in his muscular, <laughs> fit heart, he he's knows He's a humble Midwestern right. guy from Council exactly. Bluffs and... Vermilion. Well, I wouldn't say a humble Midwestern guy, but he is a Midwestern guy. Ben Lieber, former NFL player, current broadcaster, podcaster, and really just a genuinely decent human being is our guest today on the podcast. I cannot wait to dive deep with him coming up very shortly. But one last thing I do want to mention, it is International Women's Day. And Sean, I know you're on my side on this one. I have a mother who I adore dearly. Mm -hmm. I have a sister who is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. My wife, who's been a public educator for more than 25 years, not unlike your own. I have a daughter, right? I have numerous colleagues and friends who are of the female persuasion, for lack of a more ignorant term. Um, But even my grandmothers, who are both now sadly dearly departed, they both were poker fiends. They were both the kindest, sweetest, cookie-bringing-out grandmas <laughs> that, like, that took care of you and tucked you in at night. But shit, once those cards came out, everything, it was, it was fucking serious business yeah. once the cards came out. They were both poker fiends. That's where I learned my love of poker. Women, women are rad, man, and they, they occupy more than half of our species population. So to give them one day, it is a nice thing to do, but it still speaks to just how far behind we are thinking about human beings as human beings. So International Women's Day, I say in all sincerity, thank you, women of every stripe and every color and every everything that I've had in my life, because without you... Oof. I mean, even ex-girlfriends who fucking broke me down to my fucking core components. Not Kim, though. Not Kim. How dare you? How do you know who Kim is? (laughs) Because you told me, you jackass. Let's get to the song. Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
Got super real there on the Marion <laughs> Oak show. Anyway, I just wanted to say uh, a thank you to one woman in particular who, even if she were not a woman, would still be in the running for top 10 human beings that have been alive in the last 500 years. Dolly Parton on the Brian Oak Show. greatest living human beings on the planet, not just because of her musical accomplishments, but everything she represents, everything she expresses. Dolly Parton is fucking rad. And that's the end of that conversation. I don't want to hear what anyone else has to say because I already put a period on that. My name is Brian. That is Sean right over there. And our guest today is a former NFL player who has now become a broadcaster, a podcaster, and someone who, according to his Wikipedia page, has taken up canine anal gland milking as oh, a side Oh, you brought hobby. it up right away. I thought he was going to wait, Ben, like maybe till the end of the show. No, and here's kinda... the deal. I mean, we're not going to talk about it right away, yeah. but I've had a cat that had anal glands that were both clogged and needed to be expressed. Yeah. And I I can't imagine that anything in a Civil War surgery tent was worse than what I witnessed that day at the veterinarian. So we're going to move past that. We'll come back to it later, possibly. <laughs> yeah, let's please circle back to that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I promise we because I yeah. know that you love to talk about it. Ben Lieber is our guest today. Ben, it is delightful to see you. Very gracious of you to come to the Smart Start MN Studios. It's good to see you, man. Well, it's good to see you, man. We never see each other outside the halls at iHeart, so this is nice. Yeah, you exactly. do exist outside. I do. 
I do. I, I guess. I, I got to be honest. Like, so I was gone from there for a long time. Yeah. And in the meantime, in the interim, worked at a different radio station. That didn't, you know, that was okay for a while, but it ended poorly. Uh, <laughs> but I, ever since then, I've been doing this podcast and working at a record store. But you and I have seen each other on and off for a very long time. And uh, it is good to see you in the halls of iHeart, though, because I think you bring a necessary sort of rationale to that Power Trip Morning Show, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you're, you're a regular guest on the Power Trip Morning Show, and everyone who has ever listened to me or had heard me on the show, I was on there this morning, knows I am a, a shameless rube, right? But there are times where they get it so wrong. And so to have someone who is both experienced in the world of sport, but also an intelligent, discerning individual is really a crucial part to that morning show. Well, thank you. Those guys, those guys are brilliant, though. I mean, they, they, they really, are. they, they really are to do that show. I have, I have the utmost respect from doing, from doing the, you know, small amount of time that I've done in, in radio and broadcasting in my life, watching you guys do this every freaking day. And you mentioned, you know, you're one of those 4am type people. Cause you have to get up for your own radio show. I, I don't know how you guys do it, man. Like I, I was Chad Abbott, our program director at KFAN, mm-hmm. he asked me years ago if I was ever interested in doing just like a normal radio show every day, daily. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that, honestly, because that's a lot of content every day. And I know that in sports radio, the content's sort of there and given to you, but there's still, as you know, a lot of research. You got to you got to have, you know, rock solid opinions, at least back up some of your, your uh-huh. thoughts and all uh-huh. this other stuff. Uh-huh. But to even <laughs> do what those guys do on the radio show, on the morning show, where it seems like it's a lot of nothing. It's a little bit of Seinfeld ish, <laughs> where like you don't even know right. what you're, what's going to happen every day. Right, right. But the gift of gab, the gift of content for what you guys do to get up at four o'clock every every morning to grind at it, but yet make it seem like it's fun and entertaining every day. It's it's a freaking gift, man. You guys are excellent at what you guys do. Which is very kind, and thank you very much. Those guys, and so it helps to have a team, right? Because if one day you're down, you know the other yeah. two are going to be there. I've had Corey, I've had Sauce, I've had Chris all on this podcast before, and I've been a lifelong fan of all of them since I've known them. But they have found the alchemy, right? Like they somehow cracked the code. And that's not something that's a given, right? Like every single radio station in the market or in the country would like to be able to be like, oh, we'll just throw these guys together and it's going to be magic. It doesn't happen. And they didn't do it overnight, right? I mean, it took them a long time. But it's not unlike you being an athlete and then moving to broadcasting and doing what you do now. If you don't love it, you can't find the strength for it, right? Like when I wake up at four in the morning, fuck no, I don't want to get out of bed. These comfy, these covers are so comfortable. <laughs> I found that perfect temperature equilibrium. But if I don't get up, then it's not going to happen. You know, we all water finds its level. I, you know, I, I use all these weird, lame cliches, but it really does, right? Yeah. I mean, like you find your way forward. So let's talk about that a little bit because you obviously uh, a very long career as an NFL linebacker, right? Which is hard for me to imagine. Because every time I watch the game go down, I look at one of those hits, right? Like a proper, <laughs> like someone someone coming out of the slot and coming across the middle. Ooh. And you as a linebacker literally blow them up. And because they have to, because inside they know they're already dead, they stand up and they're like, cool. And they flip the ball and they walk away, even though inside they're crying for their moms, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, like, and so if I took one of those hits, 
I would literally shatter into a million small pieces. <laughs> that, that's true. And yeah. I'd be scraped together on a dustpan, and they'd bring what was left of me to the hospital. So what you've done over your career, right? Like, I just, before we talk about your NFL career, though, if you don't mind, since you're here, a big part of this podcast is talking to people from our region and talking to people from our community and finding out who they are and where they came from. You are a Midwesterner born and raised, Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a Midwesterner born and raised. And first of all, Sean, we have to get that set up where he puts the pads on. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. We have no. to. We have no, to. No, no, we got to get, we gotta get him with we'll the pads on. We'll do it for charity. We'll yeah, find we'll a charity. Yeah. We'll do it for I Smart Star. I love this. Yes. That's yeah. not a charity, by the way. That's well, we'll, not a charity. We'll, we'll fund a bunch well, of people. No, smart fund start it. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <laughs> this is great. Uh, for nine years in a row, I did the polar plunge for Special Olympics. Yeah. I'm willing to have my innards reduced to jelly and all of my ribs, my small, thin, bird-like ribs, broken into pieces. If we can do it for a proper charity, I'll take one in the chops. You know what You know what we used to do in, in on the football field for practice? A lot of times this is incentivized as, hey, if this happens, then you guys get out of running or you guys get out of meetings or something like that. We would have the offensive, one of the offensive linemen catch punts. Okay, because it's a it, it looks easy, but it's a very no, difficult yeah. thing to yeah. do, right? So just the act of catching the punt, I think they had to catch so many in a series of five or something like that. But we should, you should, you should put the gear on. Jesus Christ! We should have two gunners on the outside. <laughs> what is a gunner? Uh, gunners, the gunners oh, yeah, are the two guys on the guys yeah, just, two, two of the fastest so the, guys on the team. They're coming around the edge yes. to make sure you yeah. don't get full the edge throttle. on them, right? On the yeah, return. they need to they need to come down full throttle, and you have to make a catch and then see if you can elude a tackle from these gunners. Am, these I, the am I allowed to do the guys. fair catch signal? Like, <laughs> no, 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 hitting, no, no hitting, no, no hitting, no. Dude, I we a, need to do something like that. I we can, yes. we I can work hernia, yes. I have yes. a hernia mesh operation. They will pop me like a paint, like a balloon filled with oh, red it's paint. It's gonna be great though. But it's for the kids. It is. It's for the kids. You're so, you're, you're a Midwesterner, born and raised. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. We, we, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not a herd. Dude, I have been willing. Over the course of my broadcasting career, every time they've asked me to do something I'm sure I can't do, bungee jumping, tattoo live on the air, whatever the case may be, I've always said yes. Here's the problem. If you'd caught me at 27 when I'm like, I can do that. Yeah, hell shit. yeah, I can do that. Bring it, Gunner. Yeah, let's do this. The very first time I was ever around any significant number of NFL players was at a charity event called the Wingding. It was way back in the day. It was an old school event. This is probably late 90s. And the whole point was all these vendors from around town would come together and bring their wings in. And then all of us so-called celebrity judges would sit there and eat them. And I was sat, and I can't remember who it was. I was sat down between two linemen. And I believe one was an offensive lineman. One was a defensive lineman. And people in the NFL are clearly big, fast, talented, muscular, athletic but for the average, everyday, normal, square-ass white person <laughs> like myself, you don't realize just how big NFL players are until you're literally sitting in a chair next to them. And I've got like 12 wings on my plate. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to try some of these. They literally have a mountain of 58 wings in front of them. And you look over and my head doesn't even come up to their shoulders. No way. Zero percent chance, Lieber. Zero percent chance. Ben Lieber, are you were you born in South Dakota? Okay, so let's get yeah. So I was born actually in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Right on. You know, a lot of people around there call it Council Tucky. Okay. You know? 
You know, Council not Tucky, far from Omaha, right? Not right across the river. Yeah. You know, Council Tucky has all the casinos, the riverboat casinos. So a lot, a lot of people from Omaha just make the little short jaunt over the bridge. And, that sounds awesome. And by they the have way. The, the riverboat casinos. Um, so my dad is one of 11. Whoa. Yeah. Like yeah. Strong, family strong Italian Catholic family. Well, I was going to say Catholic, Catholic, and now Catholic. Yeah. So I get yeah. it. Like my parents were like that, but my grandmother was one of 13 children. Yeah. 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 My, my grandfather, total badass, World War II tank commander, mm-hmm. Battle of the Bulge, all this other stuff. Wow. And, and would just, you know, come back and they would just bang like rabbits and just knock these kids out. <laughs> Which is right? fine. Because yeah. What again, else are you going to do? Yeah, what else, in that time, <laughs> but, what but, else are you going to do? But the thing <laughs> I want to tell Catholics is like, it's okay to have sex and not reproduce, right? But I mean, but like to each their own. Growing up, did you hear a lot of those stories? Like, I mean, would grandpa tell you the stories about, no. about World banging War II? His, or oh, no, you mean about Shush that. you. <laughs> about, but I mean, like, I mean, like, I know a lot of vets, like, they kept that stuff pretty close to the vest, but sometimes there are others who wanted to share those stories with their offspring. Yeah, no, un- unfortunately, I never really got to know my grandfather deeply. He, he passed away of a heart attack um, when I was, I believe, sixth grade year, sixth or seventh grade year, he had passed of a heart attack and, and it was, you know, pretty sudden and nobody really knew it was going to happen. And, and, you know, I, I really wish he's one of, he's one of those people in your lives that you just really wish you, you were mature enough on his same level to have some deeper conversations mm-hmm. and get to know him because we did not live in the same town. So I lived in council bless for two years of my young life. We moved to Albia, Iowa, which is just West of Ottumwa, Iowa. Um, and I was there from age two to, uh, the end of my fifth grade year. So sixth grade year, I was in South Dakota in Vermilion, and that's where I graduated high school. Um, so my grandfather, you know, I was at an age getting to know him. You know, he was a pretty stoic guy. You know, we did not live in the same town. You know, Council Bluffs and Albia were two and a half hours away, three hours away. Right. So we would bigger family events. We would go there and we'd see all the cousins. And, you know, I've got. I think 50 some cousins. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. Christmas must have been mayhem. Oh mayhem. Craziness. <laughs> and so my recollection of him is him sitting in his favorite rocking chair and having all of us cousins just run around the house, you know, and he would just bark at us, slow down, yeah. <laughs> stop running. You know, it was, it was basically just harping on us and we never really got to know him, but he's a fascinating individual. You know, he was, um, he was, uh, I believe an army boxing champion at one point in time, mm. Um, we have these really cool fo- you know, black and white photos of him and his boxing gear, you wow. know, just just one of these quintessential, stereotypical, short, stocky, hairy Italian <laughs> guy. You know, my gosh, he, he was a bear. He was a bear. Um, <laughs> See, you know, the reason I ask about what your relationship was with him is like at some point sport becomes who you are and what you do. You yeah. are not only, you know, good at it. But you excel at it, which not everyone does, right? I mean, like a lot of people enjoy playing sports, but then it becomes it becomes a different animal for certain people, right? It becomes, you know, well, not unlike I mean, Sean, and I'm not trying to like make any sort of weird yeah. false analogies, but your son, very, very active in baseball yeah. to the point where he's gotten a scholarship and he's playing baseball yep. for a university. Yep. So I mean, that differentiates a lot of people. Like a, a lot of kids love playing sports. So you're I mean, like, so you're tall, you're fit right yeah you're growing up and i don't know if you're still in iowa at this point or you've already made the move to vermilion 
At what point, though, do you realize, and again, I'm not asking you to talk about how great you are, but at some point you have to realize there's a separation between you and the average young athlete. Yeah, and and uh, absolutely, because there's there's context to every story and everybody's mm-hmm. background. Right? So real quick, Sean, where's your son playing baseball? He's just playing at Augsburg. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. I, and he was not the most talented kid, uh, but I tell you what, the kid's work ethic is what's that's what's been cool. That's to watch. everything, that, though, right? That's everything. That's, that's the yeah. whole thing. Like the luckiest people yeah. I know are the hardest working yeah. people I know. Yeah, and you know what? Some of the most skilled people have the biggest fall from grace that mm-hmm. I've seen in my in my career, just from college and into the NFL. Mm-hmm. Look, it's not the, not necessarily most talented, but let's be honest, you have to have a certain amount of yes, talent. Of course, right? you, yep. you know you can't. You can't just make anybody, you know, a, a Division One athlete or whatever. Um, there's a certain amount of just things that you're just given. I think that's where the humility comes in. Is like you're you're sort of given this frame. I I didn't do anything special to become, you know, six foot three. I didn't do yeah. anything. What did I? I didn't. I wasn't, you know, uh, Marsha hanging from or who was it who, in, in the Brady Bunch? Bobby, yeah. was it Peter? Bobby was a Bobby. Was Bobby. Yeah, Peter, yeah, yeah, hanging yeah. from the yeah. from the Such bars, try, trying to make himself yeah, taller. Yeah, exactly. You know, like come on, Ben. You yeah, tried. I mean, but you were so you were born this way. But again, I've known people growing up that were exceptionally tall that were shit at basketball. Yeah. All right. I mean, like so that doesn't automatically. And sometimes there's mean, not a love for it. You know, there's not an precisely, interest. Yeah. And, and that's fine, right? Yeah. But I mean, at some point, like, so how do you enter sport? And what point does competition in sport become a part of young Ben Lieber's lifestyle? Well, it is um, it's it goes pretty deep, you know, so it's one of those subconscious things that and I really think that there is this nurture part of uh, of of everything that it is about your environment, which I think which lends to, you know, bigger things where we have to have compassion for other people because of their environment and things that are out outside their control. But in a positive way, my my nurturing environment was really around sports. So going back to my grandfather, he he did have a tryout for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. He was good enough to play, uh, at least get a tryout at that level. You know, that's when he got drafted in the war and went, and went to, to World War II. Um, but my whole family has been around around sports. My my aunts uh, in Council Bluffs, I think, still have some state track records or some school records at St. Albert High School in, in Council Bluffs. My family is a very athletically gifted family. So my my aunts extremely fast, extremely powerful women. Um, my my uncle played at University of Kansas, was an All American running back. Um, mm. My we are related by we are related through kind of distant blood with Joe Montana and his family in out of Pennsylvania. Right on. So I've met the Montana family. I've met the Wise family, which is part of his family. Um, the Wise family are part of our family, and so. We've been back for family events and family, you know, reunions and stuff like that in, in South Pennsylvania. And so I've kind of grown up around this 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 culture and this world of sports kind of always being around. Never really forced on us, but just it's it's kind of just what the family did. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. I mean, like, so was there was there pressure to excel in sports or did you enjoy it? Did you did you fall into it naturally or was there a Come on, Ben. Get to work. No, thankfully, my dad was, and I and I still try to keep this in mind even today. My dad was never one of those guys that he never coached our teams. And mm. and to your point, you know, giving love to your to your mom. My dad was an educator for fifty years. That's you know, he was he was my high school principal mm-hmm. and worked his way up from. <laughs> That's being not a, easy. Having your yeah, old man, no. the, but it has its perks. It has its perks. I bet it does. I yeah. bet it does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, so you know. He he was always one of those guys. Well, he was always working. 
He never really coached our, our athletic teams as, as youth kids. He was always on the outside just quiet. Mm-hmm. He wasn't yelling at us. He wasn't pushing us. What about the refs, though? He told the refs to go fuck themselves, <laughs> didn't he? I mean, occasionally you have to tell a ref yeah. to fuck off, he's, right? Yeah, he's, he's not that type of guy. Right, good. So, I'm glad to um, hear it. He never pushed us like that. We really just kind of pushed ourselves. And um, it was always around. And I think this is where we have to find this balance. And I know a lot of people talk about it now. And this goes across the board, whether it's in baseball mm-hmm. or or whether it's in the arts. You know, we have we put so much pressure on our kids and we, mm-hmm. we we ask our kids to specialize. I never thought about the games I was playing, whether it's, you know, it was small town Iowa and small town South. You played everything. So yes. you, I mean, you, you, played you played baseball, yeah. you played soccer, I, you I played, played football, and you did football, basketball, right into basketball, right into track and field, yeah, right yeah. into baseball. Right. We never took a break. And but we never specialized either. And we never took it so seriously that we put pressure on ourselves. You played because you're there with your friends. Yeah. And you played because it was the innocence of the game and you just you just had fun doing it. And and so for me, sport was always just a fun outlet. It's just what we did. We had a neighborhood Olympics in Iowa. We had a neighborhood full of kids around the same age. And because we didn't have devices, you know, mm-hmm. Nintendos were just sort of coming out. Yeah. ColecoVisions yeah. were just yeah. sort of yeah. coming out. Um, we we didn't have the luxury of having all this time in front of screens. So we were outside. We were building forts. We were playing in the woods. We had neighborhood Olympics with all of our friends <laughs> where we, you know, you, you'd sharpen the, the broomstick and have a javelin. Yeah. We'd have oh, I'm aware. You know, races yeah. and all that stuff. See, you're 10 years younger than I am. And to me, that warms my heart because growing up in a relatively new development in Coon Rapids, behind us was an undeveloped area of 50 acres of, of wood. Wow. Beautiful. And I mean, and like going back there, that was adventure land, whether you were in some fantasy place, whether mm. you were just running around, whether you were climbing trees, whether that one guy that weird deadbeat burnout brought his dad's porno <laughs> mags out to the tree oh, yeah, yeah. Look, you know what? Prior to the advent of the internet and the information superhighway, <laughs> it used to take real work to see a titty. Before we, before it, it, oh, I'd have a story about that too. You know what? You hang on to that story yeah. and I promise it's the next thing we talk about. But first, I hate going too long despite the fascinating nature of this conversation <laughs> without hearing music. Now, you picked an interesting one right here because like I said, you're 10 years younger than I am. So this one have hit you in your mid to late teens and no doubt when they were a, when they were a young band when they were a baby band before Gwen Stefani turned into the super megastar she is she was the only female that fronted a proper ska band mm-hmm. back in the day right and I mean like the cool shorts the cool suspenders here's the problem she hasn't not unlike yourself mr lieber she hasn't aged in 30 years she is incredible but the fact that you chose this i want to know why no doubt and why the song in particular uh are you playing the song you want to talk about the song i want you to talk about it and then we're going to play okay so i chose this song because i i wasn't really into music growing up you know, it wasn't one of those things. My wife still kills me about that to this day because we have music playing on our on our overhead speakers all day long. Yeah. And she's like, I grew up with old school country and just music all the time. And she wants to have that for her kids. And it's great. It's great. You know, ambiance in the household. I didn't grow up like that. We didn't we didn't grow up with a lot of music. So I wasn't really musically inclined. I didn't have it. And as you get into high school, you know, you start to you know learn yourself and find out what you like. Mm-hmm. I was sort of I was getting into more of that alternative music lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Right. And I liked it and obviously it was popular at the time. But when No Doubt went to MTV's spring break, I believe it was 1997, uh-huh. and she came out with that fucking mid-drift crop top. Oh, yeah. Go on. 
my with the ponytail in the back. So and she's Mm. dancing around to this song. It was to me sort of the perfect uh, intersection of horny high school kid. (laughs) major yeah. celebrity crush yes. that's rock and roll man yeah. that's and the whole bit a, a, a gal that's just saying screw the world yep I, i'm jumping around on stage and i didn't really understand maybe the whole movement and the power behind but she you know exuded this energy that i'm like that to me is that's what i'm all about right now <laughs>
no matter when you're listening to this, we're recording on International Women's Day, and let's be honest, Gwen Stefani, no matter what you may think of mm-hmm. the modern iteration of her, is the, I mean, like, I remember going back to Van's Warp Tour back in the day, right? Like, when Green Day still played at it, right? And no mm-hmm. doubt would be there, and there was no ska band that had a female front person at all, let alone one that could jump higher in the air than her guitar player's head in those gigantic boots, those incredible, as you said, Ben, crop tops. So, I mean, but part of rock and roll, right? I mean, like, attraction's okay. It's already be like, oh, yeah. that person's yeah. fucking hot. But also, then they melt your face with their rock and roll <laughs> yeah I, i'm a, a huge fan of no doubt yeah i'm a huge fan of them and a huge fan of her and and um you know it took me you know obviously it took a couple years before any sort of documentary type thing to come to the midwest you know for me to find it so i i enjoyed her music i enjoyed her energy obviously enjoyed her looks um <laughs> but when i but when i would see the first documentary i saw about her and their rise within the music industry she seems just so normal, you know? Right. And and you would think, you know, I, I at least had these preconceived notions of kids from Southern California. And and um, when she would talk and she talked about the formation of the band and the struggles and, you know, how much they had to grind and just how thankful she is for everything. It's like she's a very likable person as well. You know, she seems like a legit person. And that's that that just made me love her even more. And the hard worker, right? Like we were just yeah. talking during the course of that song, whether we're talking about Sean's son, whether we're talking about Gwen mm-hmm. Stefani, whether we're talking about any of the three people in this room right now in the Smart Start MN studio, you have to, at the risk of sounding like a really old white dude, you have to stay on your grind, right? If you don't work every single day, mm-hmm. there are other people waiting to take your spot, and that's okay. I mean, you know, to me, it's not like that. It's not about it's not about show business. It's not about being at the top of the heap. But if you want to succeed, if you want satisfaction, if you want to do the thing you've always wanted to do, you can't ever take a day off. You can't stop working. You can sleep in late occasionally on a Sunday, but other than that, you better get fucking back to work first thing monday morning yeah and i and i tell people now um you know when i do things like this or we talk a little bit deeply about just life and whatever i think that word that you use success i think that that has to mean something to you along the along the way exactly. I, I think a, i think a lot of people look at where they want to go they see the finish line and they think the finish line is the success nope you know just just sean just like your yeah. son they think you know cracking the starting lineup be, you know, being here, winning yeah. this award, they think that's the finish line and that's the the marker of success. But it's really not. If you don't enjoy the small successes that you that you have to go through, then you're in the wrong profession or you're in the wrong thing. Because if you don't enjoy the day to day part of what you're doing and finding the little successes that propel you into the next day. Then you then fucking do something else. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you brought it up earlier. Like even as something as simple and mundane as doing a morning radio show, you're like, how the fuck do you guys get up at 4 a.m. every day? I don't like it, but it's the only thing I know how to do. And you know what? When I get there, even if it's trying to explain to people that Maroon 5 is OK. <laughs> I, but somehow but somehow my, to, to your point and my point i still love it so i want to make sure that we get enough in here because i want to talk about your podcast i want to talk about your career in broadcasting i mean we haven't even cracked the vikings yet and yeah, we're, but two we're thirds both away in the show. massive viking fans like yeah. my first gift as a baby from all my uncles was a viking football in my crib 
but, 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 but before we even get to yeah. your your role there, because I know you started with the Chargers, but so you're growing up. Sports is a part of your life. It's part of what you do. You are natural at it. You're good at it. And I mean, again, we we sort of water seeks its level is the one I always fall back to, right? Like I went into radio because everyone kept saying, "Man, you got that voice. You should really mm-hmm. do radio." And I can't ever stop shutting up. So <laughs> it, it, it was sort of a natural thing. You had a real gift. So you're going through high school, and at some point, you become, I mean, a standout, right? A standout to the point where you, Kansas State, who has a respectable and well-regarded football program, is like, we want this mother effer right here to be on our team. What was that like getting courted by a major football program to to go? I mean, did you, how early did you start to dream about maybe doing the NFL? Well, the okay, so two parts to that question. So I didn't think about I didn't think about Division One football or football beyond high school until I saw my my two older brothers. So I was very fortunate. I'm I'm the third uh, boy in the group. I have a younger sister, but both of my brothers, again coming from an athletic family, right. they were very good in their respective mm-hmm. sports. Uh, my brother Jason was a running back, all American running back in high school. Uh, they won three consecutive state championships. Wow. He he ended up almost signing with University of Iowa, but they had one running back scholarship to give. They backed out the last day before signing day. So he ended up uh, going to University of South Dakota right in our hometown. So I saw him go through that process and it was very messy. And we were very Mm -hmm. naive as a family about what the recruiting process looked like. And, and so, so his dream of playing at University of Iowa was taken away from him on the, on the eve of signing day. So to feel like USD was like a plan Mm. B, I don't, it's no, no slight to USD, but you know, he just had this dream of playing for the Hawkeyes, which is his favorite team. Right. So because of that, I saw that my my middle brother ended up playing uh, Division One baseball at Tennessee Tech in Cookville, Tennessee, mm. uh, by by way of the the Kansas JUCO system, and so he's playing baseball at a high level. And JUCO for our non sports oriented listeners is junior college, junior college right? Yes, I just not everyone knows. Yeah, JUCO. No, you're right. You're right. right. Yeah, I'm no, you're, saying, I'm glad. I'm yeah. So I was fortunate just to be by birth order to watch them go through this kind of recruiting process. Mm-hmm. So my parents realized, oh, nobody's going to come to South Dakota and come recruit you. Like You have to go and promote yourself, you know, which was very new to us. Right. So as I was getting recruiting letters, um, Kansas State was one of the teams that sent letters. I wanted to go to University of Colorado Boulder because at that mm-hmm. point in time, they were they were an awesome football yeah. team. They just won a national championship. You know, they looked sweet. Ralphie the Buffalo, their, their real-life Buffalo, they come and lead the team out. I just thought... It was the coolest place in the world. We took a trip there because my brother was playing uh, Northern Colorado one time, and so we took a trip there. I saw Boulder. I'm like, this is it. Like 96, like, 97, where we were yeah. like right in there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so this is where I wanted to go. Too expensive to go to that camp. So my parents mm. are like, hey, why, how about Kansas State? I knew nothing about Kansas State. <laughs> no, again, <laughs> so I know the thing about college football. Was Kansas State any good at the time? They were just getting good. All right. You know, there's a right. whole other story behind mm-hmm. that, behind the turnaround that, that Bill Snyder had at Kansas State. Right. But at the time, I didn't know much about Kansas. All I knew that they were in the the newly formed Big Twelve. They were in the Big Eight for a long time, and the Big Twelve had just started. And I'm like, all right, I'll go down to their football camp with a buddy of mine. And so we go down there, and you know, I just took the approach of just uh, I don't know, I'll just do whatever do whatever they say and just do it 100 miles an hour. And I must have I do remember one particular <laughs> drill, a linebacker <laughs> drill. Um, you know, I I knocked a kid on his back, like flat on his back, right. And it kind of surprised me too, and and then so I'll bet it surprised him. Yeah, it surprised him as well. <laughs> but I, I, they must have seen something in my my height, my weight. You know, I tested out all, all well. I came in as a running back and a yeah. linebacker, 
because I was a running back more in high school. Right. And I did one running back drill. And they're like, no, you're going. Oh over. my gosh! Wow. <laughs> you know what? Was, that, was that tough on the ego a little bit? Because no. being on the offense for all those years, it it wasn't. You it, were like, it wasn't only because I I saw the other guys that were the oh, camp. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> damn, that guy had hella good footwork. And you know, they, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They looked the part, and I was taller. You know, at yeah. six at six two at the time. You know, I was one of the taller running backs, and yeah. I just I just saw the difference in foot speed and the way mm-hmm. they can get through the drills. And sure. I'm like, man, these guys are super talented. These are just the high school. I don't even know if any of those kids got scholarships or not. They right. just yeah. were just good right. high school players. So I get back home from that camp. That was the end of June. About two weeks later, they sent me a letter. You know, at that point in time, you know, we didn't have all the digital no. stuff. So they sent me a letter, a you know, form letter, um, letterhead, and all this other stuff, saying, hey. We, you were really impressive. We want to offer you a full ride scholarship to Kansas State. Wow. So I remember saying at that moment, I don't want to go through a situation like my brother. Mm-mm. I don't want to be left at the door, you know, outside the front door on National Signing Day. So I accepted their their scholarship, you know, within a couple days after mulling it over. So before I even went into my senior year of, of high school, I knew I was going to Kansas State. I shut down all of recruiting, which I do regret now. Because I was getting recruited by like UCLA and some mm. of these other their schools. Um, Given the trajectory, so I'm just going to yeah. do a very quick aside right there because that to me is fascinating. Given the trajectory your life and career have taken, right? So when you say you regret that now, mm-hmm. do you think you would have enjoyed more or excelled more at one of these other opportunities? You know, I guess we'll never know. But I, I think from a giving myself a chance to to really find out what was going to be best for me as opposed to just being sort of out of fear based. I want to take this scholarship because I don't want to be left. And and I, you know, football's a contact sport. What if Mm -hmm. I blow my knee out first game of the season? I blew my knee out on the couch two nights ago. I got (laughs) it, man. I get it. I get it. So all that fear is kind of going through my mind. And instead of just like betting on myself, you know, I, I just jumped at an opportunity and there is, there's some value into that as well. There's learning lessons in that as well. But I, from a from a young naive Midwest kid, you know, getting an opportunity to get a, a free recruiting trip to some of these big schools would right. have been super fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and to be fair, I understand that maybe there are some what ifs that still maybe percolate around your mind, but it didn't go poorly. Your time at Kansas State obviously oh, great. showcased you yeah. as a an A list defensive player and someone who clearly had a place in the national football league. Yeah. And that's, that's a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother deal. You know, I was riddled with self doubt. You know, I almost quit, you know, I almost Mm. quit, uh, you know, the, the, the day that we put the pads on in training camp. Why? I was scared. Yeah. You know, I, I remember laying in my dorm room just, um, before a practice started and this was like the real live bullets were putting the full pack on. It wasn't just running around in shorts and helmets Mm. and stuff like that. And you're playing with the big boys and, I think because subconsciously I'd, I'd grown up in an environment in two small towns where, you know, small town kids, they like to pull them in. You know, they don't like to see kids leave the nest. And so I felt a lot of that negativity of, you know, I heard the people, even when I was getting recruited, like, you know, who the fuck does he think he is? Yeah. You know, does, does he <laughs> oh, think yeah. he's, does he think he's better than us? Mm. And, and I, I, I had to work kind of through that. And I, I always kept that in the back of my mind. Because I didn't want to think about it. But in that moment, you know, when your body's stressed and your mind's stressed, you're emotionally stressed, you know, some of that negativity comes out. And so I had a real battle in my dorm room before practice started of like, fuck, am I good enough to do this? You know, you Mm -hmm. start questioning like, 
maybe they're right. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm not good enough to do this. Maybe, maybe I should just take the comfort of going back to Vermilion and just going under USD and just being a student, you know, cause that's the safe way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I really, for, you know, an hour and a half laying in my room, just really battled, like had visions of just walking out and telling my coach, I can't do this, you know, before I'm giving myself the opportunity. And thankfully I would say the reason why I did it is because thankfully they paired us up and they, they gave us roommates and my, my roommate, who seemingly didn't have a care in the world. He was, he was like a, you know, he was a, he was a four star defensive end recruit, you know, the the pride of Kansas at the time. And, and, uh, you know, this is our break time between practices Mm. and he's just sleeping soundly. Meanwhile, I've got the sheets over my head thinking I'm going to cry, you know? And, uh, I'm like, well, shit, I guess if he can do it, I'll just follow him. And that's really the reason why I walked out the door and went to practice. I'm like, well, the peer pressure of just, well, he's doing it. I might as well do it myself. And then, um, you know, just one thing leads to another. You start to get your legs and you start to get your confidence and you start to realize that, like, I can play at this level. And so that negativity kind of goes away and it's replaced by a little bit more of a positive affirmation. Before we hear the next song that you picked, um, I want to know, and I, I mean this in all sincerity, I'm not trying to poke fun. Was your desire to quit stronger at that moment when you're laying there with the sheet pulled up over your head or the very first time you took a fucking shot to the ribs from a guard that was also a four-star recruit that's, despite your size and impressive physical build, the very first time you took what would be as close to a pro-level hit that you felt up until that point in your life, which gave you the greater desire to be like, fuck this? Uh, the Your own internal battle was way worse. Yeah. yeah. You know, because when you're, you know, you're in the moment. Yeah. You're yeah. in the moment. And you're, yeah. And you know when you play enough snaps and you play enough football, you're going to have some hits on people and then you're going to get hit. You know, so. But I mean, like, I, I just try to think because I'm not. This may come as a shock, Sean, but I'm not really a great athlete uh, and certainly not in a contact sport. I, w- I was a competitive swimmer for six years, but no one ever touched me. And that was fine <laughs> unless they were shaving me in the shower. Oh, um, boy, I got to eat later. That's a real story. Oh, and I, look at me. I'm a hairy individual. You Speaking are. of the yeah. bears you talked about earlier, um, I just I, I look at some of those hits, right, that happen both at the NFL level, even at the college level. And the game is so fast right now. Right. And so when you watch these replays plays where they slow it down you're like oh you only missed it by four one thousandths of a second or you just watch someone's body twist in a way that is non-euclidean geometry like that's not supposed to happen i mean you've had your bell rung and the wind knocked out of you many times oh yeah 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 and you know what's funny is the big hits don't hurt that much what are you talking they don't it's funny how your body gets conditioned for hitting Really, and and that is why you know football is unique in that way that you you do have to practice, you do have to practice at a high speed because you have to get used to those hits, especially at a younger age, you right. know, high school and early parts of college. Um, they're taking it away a little bit in, in the pros, but it's the twisting hits. Yeah, that's those those are the ones that like the knee goes weird, the yeah, back goes weird, the get, shoulder goes yeah, weird. Yeah, when you get involved in some sort of scrum or something, and and your body's being twisted and contorted, those are the times that you actually get hurt the most. And that's when you, you get up off the pile and you're like, oh, God, my knee, what the hell? Yeah. You know, and then you're like, God, can I play on this? Like, what, what, how much pain can I tolerate? Like, what's going on? And that's one of the other things from the NFL or even college sports that I'm like. So let's say you as a high end linebacker, right? You have a strip sack or you get the interception. You're going to go down, but you got the ball for your team. This is a major, major play. <laughs> but then unfortunately, in the ensuing scrum, there are 
there's over a ton of man on top of your body. Yeah, like yeah, I mean, punching like, and like, but I mean, scratching like, even, even if they weren't punching or doing anything other than just laying on you, you've got twelve guys all above three hundred pounds laying on top of your body right now. I can't imagine that you can breathe. I can't imagine living through you that. You can't. You know, there are times Jesus. you can't. You know, it so much more when I was a running back in high school. You you know any sort of innocent play where you just get you take the ball and you get tackled and all of a sudden there's four or five guys that sort of dogpile on you, you know sometimes you know the the ball gets twisted and the point of the balls you know jabbing into mm-hmm. your diaphragm God. or your you know right. underneath your ribs you're, oh. <laughs> and you're just like trying to like you just want people to get off of you like I don't miss that at all yeah. as a defensive player <laughs> as as a defensive player that didn't happen as much because we were the ones doing the yes, dogpiling right exactly you know, if. if and it's funny, if you look at, and the rules have changed a little bit because they find these guys for not wearing the right equipment. In the league, the only pads I wore were shoulder pads and a helmet. And then we took the inserts out of the thigh pads because the thigh pad is a hard plastic insert okay. and then there's foam around it. Yeah. Well, we'd cut that we'd cut that open and just use the hard plastic insert. Is that no, shit legal? No knee pads, no hip pads, no butt pads. Come on. No, because... Because if you're playing the game the right way as a defensive well, you gotta player, move, right? Yeah, you got to move, and you're doing all your hitting with your upper body. Yeah, you know, you're not you're not like a running. You watch Adrian Peterson run, and we yeah. watched him get padded up. I mean, he's got you know thigh pads, knee yeah. pads. He's got a pad that goes on the side of his thigh. He's got plate mail armor oh, on. Well, that that dude's built just differently. It, well, I, 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 I mean, mean, I. I I remember the one time I met him and he gave me a handshake and everyone's like, no, no, his handshake's not oh. normal. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, he look at me. I have th- thin, brittle, bird-like bones, right? <laughs> and I just wanted to say a quick hello, but he gave me one of those scrunches on the hand and I walked away like holding my hand like everything's ruined. I can never use this hand again. Am- amazing. You know, there are some guys that have this muscular skeletal makeup and, and so he's not super unique in this way, Yeah, but... It was the thickness and the mass that he had. There are some guys that when you see these thoroughbred racehorses and they mm-hmm. walk and you can see every striation yeah. when they when they when their foot hits the ground, their hoof hits the ground. Uh-huh. That's the way Adrian is. When he would run past us in practice, it was like every time his his foot hit the ground, his thighs would just explode in this like you can see every muscle fiber, wow. and you're like, dude, that is ridiculous. And his back was like that. His I'm like. This guy's freaking, he's a freak. There was nothing else he could have done. We have to get another song in. And unfortunately, I have about four hours more questions. We don't have that kind of time. So let's get this in. Before we go any further, though, before we hear our next song, you have a podcast that I want to make sure we plug now and one time before the end of the podcast called Unrestricted. Now, you have been a longtime successful NFL player. You have been a broadcaster working to cover the NFL for quite some time. You decided to get into the podcasting game because that's what everyone does. Yeah. Tell me why the F you would do that. I don't know. You're too I'm good stu- looking to I'm do stu- that. I'm stu- I, stupid. I don't know. You know, don't it's, know. It's, it's, I remember pushing back on it a little bit. Again, uh, I was asked to do a podcast or a version of a podcast or whatever years ago, and I'm like, I don't get it. Like At the time, I wasn't consuming <laughs> podcasts. I'm like, yeah. shame. What the fuck is a podcast? Like, yeah. well, I, don't, I don't understand. It took me a while to just get involved. It's kind of like the Larry David's Super Bowl <laughs> ad. And he was like, ah! I was kind of like, like and I'm never wrong about these yeah. things. <laughs> I'm super late to the to the podcast party. I right. decided to do it because I I do like to stay busy, and I'm like, okay, this is something that'll keep me busy in the off season. Um, so I got involved in you know I just recorded my 69th episode. Um, go on, go on, and, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. and it's fitting that on this International Women's Day that 
uh, my guest this this week that I released yesterday was a was a United States Air Force fighter pilot. Her mm. name is Mace Curran, Michelle Mace Curran. She's a she's a Tommy. She went to the University of St. Thomas. And, um, you know, she's just such an inspiration because she you know, is a Thunderbirds pilot. She has 163 hours of combat service in which she tells a remarkable wow. story of her her time in Afghanistan flying support. And she she openly tells me a time where she took out some targets, some some, wow. you know, some bad dudes. Holy and cowboy. so, boy, um, so I like to have people like that. There's some sports people on there. I just I just like to keep it broad. Um, you know, there's there's a little bit of health and wellness in there. I, I just I just find I just try to find as you as you know doing podcasts just try to find people that are interesting. To and me, just that's talk, the whole point. And just talk to them. It's conversation, right? Yeah. Like the best podcast you will ever do, or at least in my humble opinion that I will ever do, is the kind of conversation where someone listens. They're like, "Shit, I listen. I wish I was sitting in that room right now." Like, I mean, like that's the point of a good podcast, right? And they don't all achieve that level. Uh, before we hear your next song, where do people go to find your podcast and to find out pictures of you in? sexual calvin klein under oh god well those are all those are all over just google my name um no so so you know i do i do have a cheesy website and i'm a terrible i'm a terrible self-promoter um i do have a website it's just benlieber.com and then you know unrestricted can be found on every podcast platform you know spotify apple iheart um well everyone raves and i here's the deal even 200 and nearly 40 episodes into a podcast i still don't listen to fucking podcasts and i I guarantee you you, i guarantee you that you Uh, almost never do either no i do i I, i'm a big consumer of podcasts now you know i get i get a lot of my a lot of my national news through podcasts you know i there there are certain um you know health podcasts i listen to um you know there, there are yeah i I'm all for it now. You know, it's yeah. if, I, if I'm out, you know, snow blowing, shoveling, yeah. you know, it's that yeah. mindless stuff, vacuuming the house, like throw yeah. on the podcast and see what's going on. Well, I mean, and me too. That's what I meant to say. Um, obviously, <laughs> also a huge fan of the morning show at Cities 97.1, uniquely Twin Cities. This next song you picked, this one in the early 90s, this song hit my sweet spot. I was a big fan. I hated the turn to, and again, you know, middle-aged white guy talking here. But I, I first found hip-hop in the early 80s. And I thought, this is telling me a story I've never heard before. I love the narrative, right? Like, I'm like, this is a part of life I know nothing about. And so to me, it was deeply informative. And then the fun stuff came along, you know, and other people tried to bring it to a bigger audience. And then in the 90s, a lot of real violent stuff took place, right? Like, I didn't love the narrative about pimping or crime or any of that shit. But there was what became affectionately known as uh, backpack rap, which means, like, college kids or, yeah. you know, enlightened white kids or whatever the case may be, you know, bands like Tribe Called Quest, Jungle Brothers, oh, yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff, right? Yeah. But it also included Arrested Development. Why'd you pick this one? You know, this one is interesting because, you know, like a lot of people, I'm sure we all have routines. You know, when I got to the locker room in the in the NFL, you know, I had a music routine, a music playlist, and it took me a while. It was always kind of random. And it was one of those things, and, and you know, I go back to Sean and his and his and Aiden playing baseball. Baseball players really have, you know, they really have routines and they really yes. have superstitions. And I don't think football players <laughs> like magic have, necklaces, yeah, yeah, exactly. and certain songs. Yeah. Football and, players aren't as much. We like yeah. routine, not necessarily superstitions. Well, for some reason, this particular song by Arrested Development was the number one thing on my playlist. It played first that that game, and I ended up having a good game. And so by the next week, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start my playlist and make sure I, I listen to this song first every time. So this song, Everyday People by Arrested Development, it's not something I particularly knew very well. 
I don't, I don't really know the background. You know, I certainly know the lyrics to it and I like the message to it, but it was one of those things that it just became superstitious. So for years, you know, I don't know how many games, this was the first song I listened to as I walked into the stadium as I was trying to get mentally right. out 30 years later still a banger right? so good still a banger still oh. a banger yeah and and um you know i was thinking actually as that that was playing you know it sort of jogs your memory about certain memories and all that stuff that, mm-hmm. that are important but 
I could have played you. I could have given you anything about by Shaggy as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh man. <laughs> and, and, so my time in San Diego, which was awesome, I'd never really been around that sort of music before. And the guys I was hanging around with on the football team, they were huge Shaggy guys. And it's like every place we went, it was playing in the car. Oh, right. Oh it God. was playing in the backyard when we we're having the barbecue. Yeah. I mean, Shaggy was a big deal back then. I remember a certain time in my life where I literally couldn't wake up in the morning without hearing Usher at some point in the first two hours <laughs> yeah. of my day. I mean, it just, it happens. Before we continue with Ben Lieber, we do have to check in with Sean Bernard real quick, who in addition to being sort of the Dr. Caligari of this particular podcast. I'm the Dr. Calamari is what I am. I wish. <laughs> I wish you were Dr. Calamari. Is also a realtor at 50th and France uh, location of Edina Realty. What's going on in the real estate game there, Big Knocker? Well, I'm a big knocker now. That's what I am. Well, it, I, I, thought that, I, th- I thought that was a compliment. It's busy, busy, busy right now, and it's uh, it's crazy. Uh, you know what's funny, though, is that the, the, the deal that I'm most proud of right now is friends of ours from North Minneapolis. They've lived there for 50 years, and I'm helping them sell their home. They're 80 and 84 and moving to uh, their retirement place. And it's just like, I'm so honored to have the opportunity to work with them. Um, I'm certainly doing bigger deals other places, but it's so cool when somebody's mom and dad calls you up and says, hey, can you help us move on to this next chapter of our life? You sound a little bit like Tom Selleck with the uh, reverse mortgage right now. You know, I've been around the block a few times. Okay, stop it. I was was kidding. I was only joking. I apologize for Uh, bringing it up. I'm doing the same thing this year that I did last year. A portion of every buy and sell goes to a local artist or musician. And then through Edina Realty, I also do something where I give back to... uh, really homeless veterans. We we help uh, provide homes for homeless veterans. And I have a history of veterans in my family all the way back to the Spanish-American War. Wow. Uh, all the way back there. So um, tons of Civil War vets, too, which is pretty cool, I've, I've found out. So if you know somebody that's looking to buy or sell and you want to hear all about my genealogy, 612-859-2594, that number is also textable. Sean's services provided by Ancestry.com. <laughs> My name is Brian Oak, and Ben Lieber is our guest. So, Ben, at some point when you're in college, things are going well enough, you have clearly gotten over your initial reticence, right? And things are going well enough that you become a recognizable figure. You become someone that all the draft pundits are, and maybe not all, but some and many are talking about. You're suddenly in the conversation of being drafted for the NFL mm-hmm. Did it, did it seem surreal at first, or it, was it always like at, at a certain point did you realize like no way I'm fucking going to the NFL? Or I mean, what does that? There's got to be a transition in there somewhere, right? Where you go yeah. from hopeful to being like I got this. Yeah, I, and I would say that my my naive nature really benefited me throughout my whole career. So my first couple of years at, at Kansas State, I didn't think about the NFL at all. I was just you know it was one of those things like I talked about with you know the so much self doubt my first year. You know, it was really just trying to find my way. Do, do I belong? Do I? Okay, now that I belong, can I improve and can I crack the starting lineup? So it was, it was such a slow progression for me. Uh-huh. And then, you know, because because professional sports are is is very linear. You know, you know exactly the road it's going to take for the most part. That you know, you you perform well at one level, and then you get looked at, and then you move on to the next level, and uh-huh. you just kind of like, it's all kind of laid out for you. So I started to see some of the guys I was playing with, the upperclassmen, they were going to the NFL, they were getting drafted and stuff like that, and I'm like, oh, well, all right, like, if they're doing it, I I probably can do that too, I'm probably at the same level. Um, and then, you know, because of the process, 
you know, you start getting calls from agents, you know, right. you start getting letters and stuff like that. And then you start hearing like, okay, well, I'm obviously on some sort of national database where, um, so that's when it starts to kickstart your, your motivation. You start to recalibrate your goals and you're like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, this is how I'm going to have to reverse engineer this. And this is how I'm going to get there. And, um, so yeah, you really start to push, you know, you really start to push yourself of like, okay, well, you know, not only are you interviewing agents kind of secretly behind the scenes because you're not supposed to. Yeah. You're not supposed to. Breaking news. Yeah. You're not supposed to be talking to them. You're not supposed to be talking to them and all that stuff. And obviously you, you can't sign with anybody. You can you can commit to them, but you can't sign anything to give away your amateur status until you're done Are some playing. of them as greasy as yes. you think they are? Yeah. 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 I'll bet. They are. Just a quick yep. question. I just, I mean, and I already knew the answer, but I'm just glad to have it confirmed. No, and that's, and that's exactly the... That's what I went into when I interviewed them in person because they came to Manhattan, Kansas to my to my home and and they would, you know, they sat down in the living room and we would have a conversation and you could tell right away the guys that that didn't resonate with me were the ones that hey man, I if you mom you, you mom need a house, your mom need oh, a, yeah. your mom dad need a car, Jesus you know, Christ. it's like hey, we, and that's we can, real. That's, that's real. That that's real. That's real. Like wow. hey, we, we can help you with that. Yeah. Wow. Hey, hey, how much money do you want do you want floated? To you, you know, where do you want to train at? We'll get you the top notch training. You want a nutritionist? You want, you and, want a car? And of course we you want all, this? We all, I think everyone outside of that, that system knows that, that that's real. But to think about it, I mean, like that, it adds a weird element, right? Like, because you want to achieve, you want to play your sport, you want to be Ben Lieber. I'm going to bust some people up as a linebacker. But then you also, there are the very pragmatic business realities of having mm. to deal with the system. And you came from probably a middle class. Yeah. family i'm yep. thinking but this is where we don't want to go down this path but the kids that come from the guys oh, yeah. that come from poverty mm-hmm. extreme poverty they're like holy shit i'm gonna take this money all of you it you know i'm gonna take it because my family's starving over here yeah you and, know? You, and you know and uh, again not to generalize but you know the question they they don't ask in those situations mm-hmm. is do i have to pay this money back and oh. and that is and that's the real part of it is mm-hmm. they will offer all this stuff to you as an agent mm-hmm. but it's not free no. And so they, when so you, once that you sign, they expect you, sign, you to pay all of that yes. back in addition to their fee yes. that they get on top of Correct. it. Correct. Like wow. a fucking record label when they yes. sign a band. A hundred percent. Garbage. Wow. So they, so as wow. a, as, as a student athlete, mm. you're, some of these guys are so enamored and sometimes, you know, they're not, they're not conducting these interviews in a living room. They're conducting these interviews at a club. Or someplace at a restaurant, uh-huh. away from maybe their their university, they might be back home. And if you're from a big town, let's say you're let's say you're a kid from Miami, and you've got an agent that's like, hey man, let's let's go out to dinner, let's go meet, yeah. and they're you know they're whining, they're dining you, they're bottle service at this whatever. Shit, yeah. Lo and behold, if you sign with them and they get they give you a hundred thousand dollar floater, and you can go buy your car and do whatever. That shit's got to be paid back. Yeah. Yeah. Along with their 3% on top of the contract. Oh. It's exactly like a record label. Like, <laughs> yes. But literally, like yeah. all these bands that get signed, like everything they do to promote you is coming out of your oh, advance yeah. or your thing. So that all has to come back. So it really is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure when you're 21 years old and you've got a beautiful woman on your arm and you're like, we're going out in my brand new car and we're going to go out <laughs> clubbing tonight. And, and so it's wonderful. But. Let's be honest, when it comes to getting into the NFL, a very small fraction of the people who are even drafted get to make a lifestyle that resembles anything like what the agent has promised. No, and and there's there's so much financial illiteracy with all of that mm-hmm. too that 
You don't even you don't even understand yeah. how taxes work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I still don't <laughs> I understand know. how they fucking <laughs> work. Yeah. So you 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 are just hitting the head mm-hmm. with a, a financial sledgehammer when all of a sudden you you get your you get your contract and you get your signing bonus and you're like oh yeah I'm feeling good on top, on top of the world this is more money than I've ever had in my life and all of a sudden you know they say uh you know you, you're gonna make you know here, here for instance you're gonna have a, a three hundred thousand dollars signing bonus yeah. you're like fuck yeah I'm gonna have to do that and then they give you a check and it's for you know one sixty or right. one seventy five yeah. you're like yeah. well, what do, what do you mean you're I like thought- well, I, I thought it was three, like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Uncle Sam's going to take his and yeah. state of California is going to take theirs. Yeah. And also uh-huh. San Diego County is mm-hmm. going to take theirs. And then you have to take it, you know, and then it's 3% of the, of the total gross. So, oh. you know, it's not the net that you got to pay your agent, oh, yeah. you know, so then it's 3% off the 300,000 yep. and you're like, really? And then, oh, by the way, there's, I got a $50,000 floater to get a car and like, okay, that's another fit. like, you realize how quickly these guys can get upside down mm-hmm. and you're like, but they're professional athletes. And you're like. Yeah, but they don't understand how the game works, no. and no one's there to educate them on how that works. And again, whether you're a professional athlete or a musician or whatever it is you do, almost nobody, unless you're really entrenched in it, knows how the game works, and so getting fucked is the norm as opposed to the oh, exception. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the deal, though. We come to draft night, right? Like, So you have been talked up, you being a reasonable and intelligent and an articulate individual, you've got at least, I, I'm hoping, a better idea than most of your peers at that point have. It comes down to draft night, and you end up being drafted in the third round by the San Diego Superchargers. Yeah, <laughs> draft night and and the and the and the lead up to draft is it dramatic? Is it weird? Does it churn your guts? Or do you just wait and see what happens? Did you have expectations? Did you go higher, lower than you hoped? You uh, would? All of it. Yeah. You know, seriously, all of it. Because up to that point, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the Senior Bowl, which is an, a, a, you know a group of the top college football players at, at, for that class. So you go down to Mobile, Alabama, and you're performing, which is the the most stress I felt really, really my whole college career because you're going through drills and every head coach and GM are just circled around every drill and they're just taking notes. They're having sidebar conversations. They're whispering about you and, and about other players. And so every single rep that you take is scrutinized and judged. Mm. And, and then you go and have interviews at night and you're talking to these guys face to face. And then you go off to the NFL Combine, which just took place last week. And you go through kind of the same similar stuff without the the one on one drills and the and the game part of it, but you know you you are put through this really long intense job interview, and then you get to the day that it's draft day and you have no control of what <laughs> yeah, happens. Right. You know, well, and there are people who are an assumed number one yes. that slide to the fourth yes. round and it shuffles everything up, and yeah. then all of a sudden, but there's a team that has a specific need yeah. and they trade down and bring up a third rounder up into the yeah. first round. It's chaos, it's right? Ca- it's chaos. And so and when, I, when I watch these prediction shows, you know, Mel Kiper Jr. and everybody <laughs> every year, I got nothing against sports commentators. Like all of us, they're trying to find things to talk about, and they've got to fill up a certain amount of space. But to think that you have any genuine, realistic prediction of how that day is going to go, I'm not a deep, like, sauce. I'm not a deep draft head. But the, but I mean, every time I watch it, by about the seventh pick, everything's gone to hell. Yeah. Especially if there's a trade. Yeah. If there's a trade, yeah. because it's so hard to predict trades. Right. And and if the trade happens, like, oh, shit. Like, well, they're obviously trading up to get so-and-so and whatever. And then it just totally screws up everybody's draft board. Right. So in my in my situation, you know, that's your agent for those months up to the draft. They're doing their their work. You know, they're they're putting their feelers out. They're talking to people. They're talking to GMs and scouts and whatever. Like, hey, where do you think Lieber's going to go? And whatever. So before the draft started, the Chicago Bears told me they had a good relationship with my agent. They're like, look, we need a linebacker. We we're going to take Ben. We're going to take Ben right now, slotted in the second round. And we, they had a sort of a late ish second round grade on me. Mm. So 
I'm sitting there, and at that point in the time in the draft, the draft was two days, Saturday and Sunday, and the first three rounds were on Saturday. And so everybody at that point, they're like, I just hope I'm a day one draft pick. Right, you know. And right. now day one is just the first round on Thursday night. Oh, it's not even the first two rounds no, anymore. It's really? Just, yeah. All right. And so um, so I'm like, I just, I know I'm not going to be a first rounder. I know I'm not going to be a high second rounder. So the, the draft started at noon, and but I was still a nervous wreck. You know, I got mm-hmm. my family and my close friends there, and everybody's just playing cards, and they're drinking, and just kind of doing like a tailgate sort of feel to the to the day and I'm just meanwhile sitting there just on the edge of my on the sofa just nervous I'm like nobody touch the fucking phone you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, you know put all your phones yeah. on vibrate like I, you know well, you just, but, but I don't want to talk to anybody yeah I don't want to talk to anybody <laughs> it's literally the first day of the rest of your life it's the first day and and, and that gravity never really sets in until later but right. you know cut to the the Bears pick in the end of the end of the second round they trade the pick away speaking of trades they trade oh. it away and I'm like oh shit like what is going on did like, you think you were going to the Bears I thought I was going to go to the Bears because yeah. that's what I was told the whole time. Yeah. Right, they they right, had right. told me like, "Hey, we're going, you know, we're going to take you with this pick or whatever." So the way the draft board was sliding, they thought I they could get me in the third round. So they moved. I think they were the spot or two behind. Yeah, they were two spots behind the Chargers yeah. early uh, in the second in the third round. So I had, and there's so many stories like this with all the other players that I've talked to. the The Chargers weren't really on my radar. I didn't have a lot of dialogue with them. I remember talking to Marty Schottenheimer, I believe, at the Combine, and we had a sit-down conversation. Um, they were one of the teams that worked me out on my pro day, but it wasn't really intense. And my agents were like, I don't know. Like, they're, they're not really, they're not really <laughs> yeah. showing a lot of interest. You know, they're not really talking to us about you. And so I never thought that they were on the board. Right. And so then, you know, I was a 71st pick. And so at the 70th pick, my, the phone rings. And I'm like, okay, uh, okay, well, here it is, I guess. And then on the phone, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, hey, this is um, AJ, AJ, well, actually, it wasn't AJ Smith. It was a different, we had a, we had a GM that ended up uh, passing away shortly after I was drafted. Hmm. But it's his voice, and then it's Marty Schottenheimer, and then they pass the phone around. And it's very quick. It's kind of like what you see on TV. It's like, hey, Ben, this, this is so and so with the San Diego Chargers. You ready to be a San Diego Charger? I'm like, uh, yeah. They're like, awesome, <laughs> great. Uh, let's, I'm going to pass the phone to Marty Schottenheimer. Okay, great. And then Marty gets on, Ben, hey, blah, blah, blah. We're so happy to have you. You excited? You excited to play with so and so? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm so. I'm, it, I don't even know if I said a, a full sentence. I think I just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm super. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're like, okay. And then I, I, I put the phone down, and there, you know, everybody's like around the kitchen, just like looking at me, like, what's going on? And I hang up the phone, and, and I go, I'm going to San Diego. And it's like, what? And so then, it, then, you know, the, the name, the name flashes up on the screen, and, and, um, you know, come to find out that the Bears, who had two picks later, uh, actually, I'll take this back. The Minnesota Vikings, coincidentally enough, had the seventy-second pick, I believe. Mm. So my parents thought I was going to Minnesota, right? Because the phone rings, and so on the ticker, it's like, well, it, it could be any one of these couple teams after that, pick. right? Right. And so they they were all excited because they thought I was going to basically stay home and You're go play be here. For, for Minnesota. Right. Um, I ended up going to San Diego. I think my mom was a little a little disappointed because um, I was going so far away. But then here we are. We circle back in life, and and I'm here. So draft day happens. I, I can't imagine the excitement because here you are, an athlete for your entire life, and obviously good at football. But then these sort of unlikely things begin to foster and bubble up. And holy shit, it's draft day. And holy shit, the San Diego Char- Marty Schottenheimer. I just talked to him on the phone. I'm going to go play in San Diego. How was your four years in San Diego? It was amazing um so many fond memories you know it's such a funny thing when you talk about just like the gravity of, of being from a, an amateur to a professional 
it accelerates quickly. You know, we celebrate our fucking faces off that night. I mean, I mean, I got the phone call around eight. I got the phone call around eight o'clock p.m. and you know we after a bunch of hugs and stuff we're like let's go (laughs) total release yeah yeah so popping bottles yeah Yeah. so we went out had a good time and then you know it it happens fast i mean i was on the phone with their their people on sunday oh yeah uh, plane tickets on wednesday Mm. uh i flew i remember flying into san diego for the first time on on the wednesday just a few days after the draft and then we had rookie mini camp on that thursday time to go and so it was it was press conference on wednesday um we go right. We go right into practice. You you know right into a new locker room. Here's your stuff. Here's your gear. It's kind of like what you see sometimes with these military kids. That is like, hey, first day of basic. Yep. Here's all your stuff. Let's go. Your old life is over. This is you're now a professional athlete. You got to go. So your head is your head spinning for months. Well, even though even once you get drafted, there's no guarantee that you're a starter. There's no, no. guarantee you're a star. You might not even be on the team in a few weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know I. As a third round pick, you know that they're investing this amount of money on you that you're you're most likely safe for one year. You really have to fuck it up off the field to get yeah. cut, you know, and you really right. have to be really bad, I think, to get cut as a third rounder. But um, you know, they you know, you just you just put I mean, for me, I just put my head down, you go right into meetings, you you're learning a new defense, new terminology, new verbiage, a whole new language basically, and and you've got to play in the system and you know, I'm in the I'm in the room with Junior Seau, and yeah. I'm, on, I'm on a defense with with Marcellus Wiley and, mm-hmm. and Rodney Harrison, and and some of these, you know, my our, start, Christ, our, our really? starting quarterback was Doug Flutie, um, you know, wow. Drew Brees and and uh, Ladanian Tomlinson were drafted the year before me, so that you know they're in the locker room. I mean, it, it is an amazing, very surreal experience to be sharing the same locker room and, and showers and whatever with these these icons, right. you know. And uh, you know, uh, much like Kansas State, you're just you're just hoping to belong. You yeah, know, you're just you're just hoping to prove yourself. And every day was a prove it day. I, now, and so sadly, we normally wrap these up in about forty five minutes. We're already at an hour twenty. So, Sean, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to keep this reasonable. I have two important questions to ask you. Obviously, everyone knows you as a Minnesota Viking and a commentator down for the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Will you promise me at some point in the not too distant future to come back so we can devote an entire show to your life as a Minnesota Viking? Yeah. Because I've left literally zero minutes left to talk about you being a Viking. But I do want to ask you this because to me, this is an important thing. No matter what people are into, you start a new job of any stripe, right? But when you walk into a room with multi-million dollar celebrity athletes, right? And you're the new kid on the block. And I'm sure it's different in every locker locker room. It depends on the personalities. It depends on ownership and leadership within that room. So there's obviously an intimidation factor, but also, you know, everyone always talks about whether it's a cliche or not that football is the ultimate team sport, right? So they're like, all right, that kid right there just got himself a locker. He better fucking do his job, right? I mean, so there's this combination of, hey, kid, and they want to test you out and they want to make sure you're all right. But they also want to be like, well, I hope they brought somebody good in on this third round pick. What was that like? I mean, like sort of meshing into what the San Diego Superchargers were all about. It's a lot. It's heavy because um, you do feel the weight and the gravity of, you know, these are important positions and, and you know that there's everybody's fighting for those starting spots. And, and so you've always, once you get inserted as a starter, you always have a target on your back. So, you know, every day, even though that that person is your teammate and they share a linebacker room with you or whatever position group you're in, you know that you got a target on your back because they want your spot. Yeah. And they're wait they they're they want you to fail because that that elevates their status. 
And so you feel that on a day-to-day basis. So it's an, in, it's an interesting dynamic in chemistry within the locker room. That's why I think chemistry in the locker room is so important because you do have to pull as a team, even though everybody wants your job. Yeah. You know, and everybody's gunning for different spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a very, very dog-eat-dog competitive world. When people talk about a competitive environment, I can't imagine anything more so. Not only are you going out there and laying it on the line every day, I mean, laying people out, getting laid out every single time you take the field, but there are also people on your team who are like, "Ah, it's a little slow to get up. Maybe this is my shot, right? I mean, like, that's a weird dichotomy. It's a really weird dichotomy. And you know, you're you're there to help each other out and answer each other's questions Mm -hmm. and meetings and stuff like that, but you know that to be on the field and this is goes back to like, I wasn't the fastest or the strongest or whatever. I just, I, I, you have to be reliable and you have to be trustworthy. And so learning the game to me was my competitive advantage. You know, I knew that I could use my, my moderate uh, amount of intelligence to put myself above some of the other guys that were more, more talented to me than me. So they knew that they could put me on the field and then trust me. So, you know, you're, it's like, do I want to share that information and on, on how I organize my thoughts you know, because, again, the game is sort of, you know, mentally scientific in the fact that, you know, we get a play and then, you know, the way it works on defense is, you know, we get a play. You have to know exactly what you're supposed to do on that play, but based on what the offense is giving you. So you look at personnel down and distance time, time of the game. Uh, you get a feel for the situation. They could do about. 20 to 30 different things you know they could run a a multitude of different plays but to get good at it on defense because we're playing a step behind you want to take away that that advantage the offense has you want to gain back that half a step so the only way you can do that is is to deduce and to take away that way you can anticipate better so you get the play call i got to know what i'm doing in this particular play based on what they've got all of a sudden now because of down and distance personnel formation line splits what this guy looks like, where his weight's on his hand, yeah. where, where the running back's eyes are, yeah. what the quarterback did with this particular check, what the receiver did with his split and his thoughts. You break that down in a few seconds into like, oh, okay, they can, they're going to they're gonna run this type of play to this side of the field. You can break it down to like two or three plays. It is funny how often you, you can tell on TV that the running back is looking at the hole he's going to run through. Oh, yeah. They do. I'm sure some of them do it to deceive. It's a common high school mistake. But it's so funny to watch where you're yeah. like, they just keep kind of glancing over to the to the hole. You yeah. know, it's like, is that going to be open? Is that going to be open? But like yeah. most things in life, it's tendencies, right? So yeah. I have to imagine against divisional opponents, since you see them more often, you start to understand what they're about. Even mm-hmm. when they throw it up or put mm-hmm. a little flavor in there, a little, you understand them better than say, oh, this year we're playing the AFC East. And so you've never seen them before. And those are brand new games. And no, the speed of the game, the strength of the game, the craziness of the game. And when I hear people sort of denigrate the NFL, it's really the only sport I care about. I have nothing against other sports, but I am a foolishly, stupidly, masochistically, a lifelong Vikings fan. It's got to change. Oh my God, I have so many questions for you, but we're way beyond time. We got to wrap. Yeah, uh, we, do have to, we do have to wrap. But I'm having you back to talk about your career as a yeah, Viking yeah. and what it means to be on the Vikings right now. But when people are like, oh, football players, what a bunch of meatheads, I'm like, fuck you. You have no idea. Well, I'll, let me push back on that. I Go ahead. I, 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 I embrace the meathead part of it. Do you? I really do. 
Because we are a bunch of fucking meatheads. We are. Well, yes and, 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 no. I, and I'm not. You're not afraid to take a punch. You're not afraid to right. take a hard hit. But I can listen to you talk. You're far too insightful and articulate to call yourself a meathead. No, but we all have meathead tendencies. You well, know, I, I, welcome I, to the club. I've never, I've never played a snap <laughs> in my life, and I've got meathead tendencies. Yeah. You, look, no, no doubt that that. Um, there are this. There is the stereotype. I was in the locker room full of stereotypes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. right. you've got a bunch of. There are some freaking knuckle dragon idiots in the <laughs> yeah. in, in yeah. the locker room, right? And the, yeah. and that's just who they are. Yeah. But some of the some of the best players and the guys that you want to go on the field with. But then there there's so many guys that are so smart, so right. articulate. Right. You know, multiple degrees. You know, some are some mm-hmm. are doctors. You know, you know, go on to be doctors and stuff like. There, are, you see the whole spectrum. I embrace the fact that yeah. We are a bunch of meatheads because you know what? It's not easy. It's not easy to go out there and knowingly put your body and your and your and your you know your brain on the line and and throw caution to the wind. It takes a special human being to do that, and it takes a freaking meathead to do that. So yeah, we're all kind of a bunch of meatheads. <laughs> there, there, but there's bravery, and then there's meatheads. All right? So <laughs> let's just say that Ben Lieber has been our guest. We've gone on far too long. Although I would be happy to make this a five part series. Yeah. Uh, ben, promise me you'll come back. Absolutely. We didn't even talk about your air with the Vikings. We also talked precious little about your role as a commentator for professional football and professional sports. Can I have you back in a yes. month or two? Yeah. All right. Very I'd good. love to talk about how you give back to the community, too, and, and address some of that. Yeah, for sure. Th- thank you for all you've done for the Twin Cities and I just, ma- all making this so your home. to me. We haven't had an, a, a former or current NFL player on the show before, and there's so much of it that I find so fascinating. <laughs> but again, it, it, ha- it comes, like you said about a podcast, right? You want to talk to someone who's articulate, who's interesting, who offers certain insight. And again, we've gone on way too long. You're coming back in a month or two, but we'll play by your schedule but we'll do it before the football season starts yes, because i know yeah. your life gets dumb at that point yeah, right yeah. i mean it gets stupid um one last time un- uh unrestricted is the yep. name of your podcast benlieber.com l-e-b-e-r is right. where people can find out more about you and um thank you That's man it. this no, has been you. brilliant thanks again that yeah. was fun yeah, yeah. thank I'll- you guys this is i i enjoy this i was looking forward to this i think you know oak you're you're um i can't believe that you can Talk as long as you can, and you, and you and you don't have you don't have any verbal braces. You don't say um. You don't you don't. It's I, I'm enamored by how your brain works. It's unbelievable. You do a, a tremendous job. Sean. And you're a great conversation, and you're a Vikings room. Oh, <laughs> deep deep Vikings room, which we'll get into next time when I have you back. Also, Sean, I'm not sure, but I think Ben is flirting with me right now. And I want to tell bit. you right now. It's totally working. <laughs> it's totally working. It is the Brian Oak Show. We got to wrap it up. Wow, this is maybe the longest, longest one we've ever. ever done. Longest ever. Woo-hoo! Hockey and, went, I think, one twenty. But I mean, we barely scratched the surface. I have so much more to talk. We didn't even talk about you being a fucking. How is that possible? Because it was fascinating the whole way through. We will have you back. I want to once again thank uh, Smart Start MN. I want to thank you, Sean Bernard. Oh, thanks, Brian. That's why it always sounds so weird when you say that. So I want to thank our, it does, I, I, deeply. Always I want to thank, thank our Patreon supporters. <laughs> I don't know why you're still here, but I'm very glad you are. Uh, AudioQuip.com, who has provided the Smart Start MN Studio, modest though it may be, filled with state of the art equipment, so that we can produce a decent podcast. Well into the what is this? Two thirty four, two thirty five, two thirty four, two thirty four, and we'll continue to do it. We will have Ben Lieber back again. Ben, I wish you well. Does your summer? Ch- 
chill out a little bit? I know that you're on KFAN all the time. Yeah. But once we get back into football season, I mean, you're not just doing Viking stuff, right? You do lots of other stuff. Yeah, I do. I do college football as well. Yep. Um. So my my you know my football season does get stupid. Yeah. Um, because well, I, and I mean that in the best possible no, no, way. No, I, you know what I mean? Like when all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, holy shit, I think I have a phone call with so-and-so oh today and God. a Zoom thing, and yeah, then I got to get yeah, on the horn, yeah. and it, it just gets dumb, right? It gets dumb. Yeah, it, yeah don't even get my wife started, because she's, <laughs> yeah. she's got she's to bear the brunt of all yeah. that stuff. So yeah, um, yeah. thank you for having me on. This is this is awesome. Gladly, man. And please come back. I, I the fact that we didn't even talk about <laughs> anything in your Vikings well, see, career. I can get a little long-winded, too, so that's fine. Well, but it, so we'll do it one more time, yeah, all right? Yeah. To say the very least, you've left us with one more song, a band that I will admit to a, an exceptional amount of ignorance about. Mm-hmm. And so I need you to tell me about why you picked this band and why you picked this song. So I came across 21 Pilots, I think kind of like everybody did. Um, I think maybe it was even Corey Cove that sort of introduced me to the to the band. And, and you know, there's something about it. There's like this, there's a poppiness to it. There's an alternative feel to it. I don't know. There's something about it, about um, their music. And it did start a little poppy and then, and then Trench, the album Trench came out and I think there's only about two or three songs that I don't really love. Everything else, I will pretty much listen to that whole album, you know, front to back. I think it's a phenomenal album. This particular song, I think it has the the coolest sound. And then when you when you learn the reason why he wrote this song, it's so touching for all the parents out there. You know, this is a song about a grandfather that mm. he he didn't he didn't get a chance to introduce his daughter to. His grandfather is somebody that he adores. I mean, kind of making this whole thing full circle. Um, he adores and he wanted his daughter to get to know him. And his grandfather passed away, I think, from Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or uh, dementia or something like that. Because there's a lyric, there's a, a line in there where he, you know, he couldn't bear to go see his grandfather when his grandfather couldn't recognize him. And I don't know, man. It's got such a cool sound. It's actually, I use the instrumental. I'm, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for this because I haven't been stopped yet, but I use the instrumental for my own intro to, the, to Unrestricted, my podcast. It depends on what it's distributed on, but you'll probably yeah. be fine. Your secret is safe with us if our secrets are safe I, with I, you. I, I, did, I went through that whole thing. I'm like, I'm just not even going to ask. I'm just going to like, I just downloaded the instrumental and I'm like, it's, it's the, it's the underbed of, of my intro yep. to the podcast. Just, just and wait fine. for the lawyers to call. All yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and again, that podcast is called unrestricted. All right. Well, people, please find it out. Ben, thank you very much. Thank and you. people are going to be so mad. They're going to love this, but they're going to be so mad. They're like, you didn't say one fucking word about him being a Viking. <laughs> Teaser. <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. they, they, well, so next time, uh, in the meantime, I hope you have an excellent spring, man. We'll talk yeah, soon. All right. Ben Lieber on the Brian Oak show.
lunch with you again.